Hello and welcome. This is the Fit for Privacy podcast, the podcast for professionals. I'm your host Punit Bhatia. In this podcast, we talk to influencers so that you get to listen and learn from their experiences and thoughts. Remember, this is not legal advice and if you need one, please contact a professional with your situation. So let's get started. So hello and welcome. Today in the Fit for Privacy podcast, we have Jody Daniels, who is the CEO of Red Clover Advisors. So welcome Jody. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Thanks for being here and if you can introduce yourself, it'll really help our audiences to know you better. Absolutely. So Red Clover Advisors is a boutique privacy consultancy. So we help small to medium companies, but quite honestly, we help companies of all sizes comply with global privacy laws like GDPR, CCPA. Think of us as kind of the privacy manager, the privacy office you'd have in a company. And for those smaller companies, they don't have that. They need someone to fill that role. So we help them in that regard. And for some of the larger companies, we often come and help fill a particular gap that they might have on their team. Uh, maybe they need, you know, an extra an extra pair of uh, hands to get some tasks done. So we'll come in and help do that. So things like data mapping, privacy assessments, privacy notices, individual rights, really we're, we're very firmly grounded in the operational piece to try and make privacy be a part of the fabric of the company. So you're a privacy consultant for companies any size yeah. or you offer privacy consultancy. So that's nice. So let's maybe start with some quick, uh, simple questions. What do you love about privacy? I mean, you're into it so deep. So what is it that you love? So I think it keeps changing. And with the evolution of new technology, right, we're in this interesting period of time. We're across the world. We're using technology to be able to have this conversation, right? What data is being uh, connected with that? My my daughter learned this morning um, from her teacher remotely and the teacher was talking on the video and the Apple watch went off because it was awoken by Siri in some wake word she had. So what I find so interesting is that data is everywhere. The use of technology is ever growing. And out of that are going to come all kinds of really interesting privacy challenges that cross a little bit into data ethics. And it's not just a law that says, should I or shouldn't I? But then the, it ties to the, well, what, what does the person expect of me to do in that scenario? And I find that really interesting. That's very interesting. And is there something that you would like to change about GDPR? Because when we talk about privacy, we generally benchmark it with what GDPR says. Of course, there are other laws. So is there something that you would like to change in the GDPR? Well, you know, we have our six legal basis. Right. And I have a lot of work in the marketing space. And between consent and legitimate interest, those are the two that companies tend to fall into. Yeah. They are not very clear. They just, as much as people try to say that they're clear, they're really, there's so much gray that is in there. So if I could change it, I would add probably a seventh one <laughs> or I'd make it much more crystal clear of what, what really is consent applied to the modern world. And I feel like that's a little bit of where the disconnect is. You have AI, you have, um, you know, marketing is so many interesting use cases. 
and how you get consent or what exactly your three-part legitimate interest test is, it's, it's still very discretionary and subjective. So I either want a seventh one to pull out some of that or we need to make them much more clear. Yeah, I think it's not easy because when we're choosing about marketing, what's the basis for marketing? Some people choose consent, some people choose legitimate interest. Yes, I would share your opinion. And Just a completely different question. If you were to choose anything between time, money and fitness, what would you choose? Um yeah, so I love this very fascinating question. So I, I really, it's very hard for me to pick one, but I'm going to pick fitness because I think health is, well, but then I also want time. So it's very, very hard. <laughs> um, to me, fitness is tied to health and health is the most important piece. If you don't have health, you did everything else that you're doing is just not even important. You can't do anything if you're not healthy. At the same time, time, because it just, keeps yeah. passing and you can't ever get it back but if time passes and you're not healthy then so, what's the best use of time yeah i think uh, it's not an easy one no uh, not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's just to get us started so uh, another tricky one maybe but if we were to describe gdpr in one word what what or how would you describe gdpr in one word I would say individual, which, mm. you know, isn't um, exactly descriptive of GDPR, but the reason, it, or maybe even fundamental, because to me, it's really about I, the individual. Yeah. It's my data. The company, you have the ability to use it, mm -hmm. but it's really very much around trying to tell the individual, this is the data I have and, and requiring companies to be transparent it's mm -hmm. making companies think about how they're using data first. Yeah. Making sure I'm securing it. So to me, it's it's all about the individual. Yeah, makes sense. I think it links to your love about privacy also. Try and uh, have it all tied together. <laughs> exactly. And is there something that annoys you, a kind of a privacy question which people ask and you're like, hmm, I don't want to hear that. Well, people just think they're done. Like, oh, oh yeah, yeah, that GDPR thing. We did that two years ago. We're done. Oh, yeah. So like... Well, you know, what is it that I need to do for GDPR or what else do I need to do? Because it's just such a misnomer um, that they did their privacy notice and they're and they're done. It's like I check the box. I put it in my window dressing and I can leave. Now. <laughs> yeah, that's the strange part. You started on May 25th, 2018 rather than it ended on May 25th or when your project ended. It's not simple, but yeah, that's how people think. Yeah. So maybe so if I may, very uh, yeah. So <laughs> if I may get into some compliance aspects of things, and since uh, you help a lot of different varieties of uh, say industries or different industries, so what's the most challenging aspect you find when it comes to implementing privacy laws in, say, small and medium enterprises? Because I think the answer would be different for corporates and small and medium enterprises. Or maybe you can answer for both separately. Uh, sure. So I think for the small business, you know, they one generally don't have anyone on staff who knows anything about privacy. Someone's been tasked here. Yeah. Go go figure out this privacy thing. Um, you know, the laws are complicated, and depending on the industry they're in, there might even be conflicts. So how yeah. do they sort through all the different conflicts? But the real piece I think that's very challenging is they just don't understand and they don't know where to start. 
And so they often do the outside in. They do the privacy notice and a cookie banner because that's what everyone can tell from the outside. Mm -hmm. And then they think they're done. Yeah. And so the challenge is, how do I get started? And then they get started. They've done it. That was a project. They file it in their virtual cabinet and mm -hmm. forget about it. And instead, it's how do I keep this on an ongoing basis? And the other piece that's kind of connected to it is a lot of times this is viewed as a cost. You know, it's yeah. a compliance activity. It's not viewed as useful and beneficial. And so it's competing for time, energy, and money, and potentially people. So all those resources inside a small company. So how do I make sure I'm compliant and also get my sales and meet all the other requirements that I have right. and keep this up on an ongoing basis? I think that's really, really hard. On a large company, you might have some dedicated people for it. But what's very interesting is it's generally still scale. The problems are the same, just scaled uh, proportionately. So right. a larger company might have some people who can monitor the law, but for the size and complexity of the organization, they still don't have enough people to be able to do it, or they don't have enough process, or the organization is so complex that trying to keep up with any new data uses and product changes is challenging from a privacy perspective. Yeah. And I think the knowledge also plays a part because the GDPR is recent law, so not everybody knows it. And then as we discussed about legitimate interest versus consent, there's a lot of interpretation issues and everybody interprets in their own way. So it doesn't make life simple. Um, absolutely. It's complex. It's a complex law. And you also have to keep on top with the different rulings and different interpretations and, right. and understanding what's relevant for your industry. And so if you did it the once and kind of put that project away and thought you were done and you didn't come up with, well, how am I going to keep up with this on an ongoing basis? You're missing right. out on, on doing what you just said. Absolutely. Exactly. So as you work with a lot of marketing companies, Typically, the marketing companies I have seen, especially with social media and online, they have a huge mailing list or a database of emails. And previously, before GDPR at least, uh, what I remember is they tell me that they're used to buying data from one another. So how do you recommend or what do you tell them in terms of compliance in function of their own mailing lists and also the aspect which for them it's pretty natural because you have a database and you want to leverage others database as well so what do you tell them to right. comply so they don't always love my answer but i don't <laughs> i don't really recommend buying a list these days and honestly i work with a lot of marketers and a lot of marketers also don't recommend buying a list and the reason that marketers don't recommend buying a list is because it's generally not good quality data. From a privacy point of view, you're putting yourself at significant risk because you either A, have to make sure that I've disclosed when I contact you, hi, I got your information from blah, 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 so that you can comply with Article 14. Or mm -hmm. you um, have to make sure that the consent was received from the initial company that got it and sold mm -hmm. it to you. So there's a lot of risk that's involved in that. Mm -hmm. You can do it. Absolutely. Just have to make sure that, again, you've received the proper approval to send that message and you need to disclose to the person how you got that information and make right. sure that you can opt out and have the privacy notice. So if you get all that covered, you're you're able to proceed. But the marketers generally don't actually get good quality results from buying a list. 
So I prefer to tell companies instead of doing that, which doesn't generally yield you a, a lot. And, you know, especially when you compare the, the kind of cost, um, the benefit to cost ratio, that right. you put that energy and effort and money into something else that, you know, nurture your existing list and buy ads on social media that you can then create a first party relationship with. Right. So there's a variety of, you know, attend shows. There's a variety of ways to create that first party relationship, mm-hmm. which is where you're going to honestly, I think, have a better chance of actually selling your product or service versus just blasting out to everybody. Yeah. And I think it's especially a challenge for new new startups who don't have a list. They want to go fast and they want to have a client list. So for them, it's a bigger challenge because for somebody who has a list and who wants to increase it, grow it fast, buying is an option and we can tell them not to buy. But somebody who's looking at having an initial list, initial set of database, that's where the challenge starts. It's true, but it still really, I think, goes back to, so if I if I have nothing and I send it out to a whole bunch of people, how, how many are going to actually respond and true. buy my product? And I think in today's situation, you have a lot of companies that are not as excited about being spammed, right? And being kind of cold emailed. And maybe it works in certain industries. I I think, you know, some industries may be a little bit more than than others. Uh, If I'm a a D2C brand, direct to consumer brand, a little bit more open-minded. But even the email service providers are getting a little bit smarter on that cold email traffic and are blocking. So you have to make it through the spam filter and layer on top of the GDPR requirements and hope that I open it and hope (laughs) that I don't get mad at you. That's a lot of layers. Indeed, I think the response rates on uh, emails are getting lower and lower and lower with the, every week, month that we are passing by. And there's the other social media which is being used for more engagement. Yeah, social media is certainly uh, uh, right now. Yeah, and there the consent is in, in itself very blurry, but yeah, it's much more direct. Right, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. and uh, linking to that, when we talk to small and medium businesses or sometimes even large corporates, people are asking, we go to an event, we collect a business card, and then what happens? Is collecting business cards compliant with GDPR? Of course, collecting is okay, but the fun starts when you want to send them emails, when you want to. So, of course, there are different views around you should, shouldn't, but what's your view? Yes, and I was going to say, this is one where I think you could line up 100 privacy people and get (laughs) A lot of different answers. Um, so my view on that is if I gave you my business card, that meant I gave it to you. I want to hear from you, but I want to hear from you. Right. So what should really happen is that you should come back and you should say, you know, Jody, it was so great to meet you at that privacy global conference that just happened in DC virtually, <laughs> where that was supposed <laughs> to happen. Right. It was so wonderful to meet you. You know, I'd really love to continue our conversation. And then from there, it naturally flows into the relationship. What I should not do is take that business card and then automatically add it to my CRM and send you the six part automated nurture sequence campaign. (laughs) That is not, in my view, um, in scope and allowed under GDPR. I think I have a very similar view and that's exactly the thing I advise along with it when people ask, how can I send you a newsletter and the same thing, ask them. That's the simplest way. Ask them or send them the first one and say, but don't send them the first one as if they've subscribed saying, 
since we met i thought this can be useful have a look and if you want you may want to should i subscribe you rather than just subscribe them in right and and if i may add on that one so oftentimes um kind of tying back to some of the other conversation we had someone might have opted in and then they forgot that they said it's okay for you to share my information with some other third party right. so when you get the information you probably get a group of them so you should send an email at the top just like you said you know hey thanks for signing up for the such and such webinar or was you know you you allowed us to or you said yes it was okay for for us to contact you from the special event that you attended look forward to one of these a month or two of these a month or whatever yep. it is you can opt out at any time so you sort of put at the beginning as the reminder of who you are because a lot of times people click boxes they can't remember they click they didn't click yep. Who knows? And you've you've advised them. And I think, again, that's just the transparency piece. Very simple up at the top. And um, people either will, will most likely appreciate that. And if they really don't, then they'll unsubscribe. You don't want them anyways. Yeah, I think if they're not reading it, you don't want them to be on your list anyhow. The challenge is to get them to read it and they will read it only if they subscribe voluntarily. Right. So I think. I get tons of email every day, which I subscribe, but I don't get the time to read it. And after a few days, <laughs> exactly. it just goes the delete button. Yep. <laughs> Not that I don't want to read it, but I don't have the time to read it. That's the challenge sometimes. Moving into the human aspect of it, because as you said, privacy is for individuals. Do you read the privacy and cookie statement? I know we want transparency and we expect everyone to read it. But as a privacy professional, knowing what goes behind it, of course, it's challenging for our parents or friends who are not in privacy to understand the importance of it. We do understand that a little bit more than uh, others. So do you read privacy and cookie statements? Do you actually read privacy notices? And I, and I, I do read the cookie notices. And there have been times where there's a website and the cookie notice this just happened last week. It blocked me. If I didn't hit accept, it would not let me go to the bottom, like past mm -hmm. the, the first part of the page. And I just said, I'm done. I don't even want to work with that website. So whatever that website was completely lost my <laughs> business because of how they had the cookie banner set up. So I do read them and, you know, I can tell they, I, I give them a little bit of who are you and what do I think that website might or might not be doing with it. Mm -hmm. You can tell some websites just put it up because they felt like they had to. Mm -hmm. Other websites clearly know what it is that they're doing. And again, kind of depending on the who they are and my comfort level, I'll say yes or no. And then depending on what it is that I'm actually giving and the website, I will actually read the privacy notices. And it's it's a very interesting activity. If you want some comedy, I, I encourage <laughs> you to look at it. I mean, I've seen some that are 10 years old. I've seen some where that still have the, clearly the template language still in it. Right. You right. Know, insert here. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, no. it's kind of funny. No, I share your view. It's quite funny. I mean, I was looking at some marketing companies uh, as part of my uh, research. And then I found out about five or six of them out of 10 or 20 on a consistent basis had the same privacy statement. Mm. So essentially what happened is they just copied pasted or somebody sold them a privacy statement and they just drop bought it and that's the same thing with cookies sometimes accept is the only option and so i mean it's basically openly violating the rules 
that's how I find it. And it's it's a fun activity, as you say, a comedy. I mean, I call it fun, <laughs> but it is fun activity for me. The first thing I look at the company is, do they have a privacy policy? Do they have a cookie notice? And then that's the first check and then click on that. And sometimes they don't have one. And still, there are lots of companies who don't have one. There are a lot of companies that still don't have one. It's absolutely true. Yeah. Okay. So privacy for us is a profession and we make a living out of it. But privacy can also be boring for some others, like some others meaning for whom privacy is not a profession. I mean, some business people still, they get it. So how do you feel others view privacy and how do we make it interesting? Because I know you also do a lot of work on making it simple, like a five years old should understand. So what's your view on that? How do we make it interesting and exciting for people? I think we tie it and give practical use cases. And, you know, right now we're in this uh, COVID crisis when we're mm -hmm. recording this. And so, you know, there's a, some tie-ins right now. Should people be tracked on their phones who are social distancing? Should they be tracked with who has the virus and who does not? Those are actual things that are happening. And those are real questions. And when you start tying in, well, should I or shouldn't I? And I think start to get to the core of what privacy is really after, mm -hmm. which is whose data is it? Is it your data or is it the company's data? If you tie to, you know, different types of um, the marketing, right? If you go on yeah. the internet and you're going on social media and what you're looking on, should how should that be used and what's okay and what's not okay? Right. Uh, if I have a smart device, what's okay for it to be tracked and what's not okay for it to be tracked? I think when you start to provide real examples to people, yeah. then they start to internalize it and understand it a little bit more and find it to be interesting. Yeah. So essentially make it relevant and make it contextual to give them the context that they encounter on a day in and day out basis. Is that? Yes, because I think most people think it's a data breach. I have to protect my data <laughs> or there's a data breach. And that is extremely important and a real a real issue, a real concern that it's important. But so many people think, "Oh, they've already bought my information, whatever. Yeah. There'll be another data breach." But it's so much more. And when you get to this use, these interesting use cases and the intersection with technology and public health or technology and benefits and data, and you put all of that together, yeah. then you start to get people to realize, oh, oh, you're right. I guess that is that is interesting. That is my privacy. Right. I think there's a need for a lot of awareness amongst people and also in the corporate environment to make it relevant, make it interesting by sharing examples, sharing contexts. But what do your parents, friends or relatives think about the kind of, let's say, privacy laws or privacy work? So, you know, it's interesting. Uh, you know, my parents, I think, don't understand any of it uh, until there's a problem. I think that and I think that's true for a lot of my friends, too. They don't understand it. They think data breach. And then then when it's misused. If a company, yeah. you know, does something that they didn't expect, that they feel like is over the top, that they shouldn't have done it, mm -hmm. then they, you know, these, there are all these different kinds of laws. Then people understand. You know, that's how we got to have uh, HIPAA in the United States and how we got to have yeah. Gramm-Leach-Bliley Act in the United States. And GDPR is sort of the starting point because of data that's being... So when most of my friends 
don't understand what I do. Their data is used in a manner that is, is egregious and they feel like it's being misused, then, then they care. And mm-hmm. I can begin to explain, oh, there's these laws and this is why we got here. Yeah. So I think when it matters, then they start to care. But the question is, when does it start to matter? And it starts to matter a little bit too late because they don't look at privacy settings. They keep everything open. And then when something goes wrong, oh, I should have done it. I could have done it. Yeah. So I think thanks for your time. It was wonderful chatting with you, uh, having this conversation. If I may ask you, would you like to share a one final message for the audiences? Um, Absolutely. Well, first, thank you so much for the opportunity to come and, and talk with you today and i would say for the audience is you know there's so many wonderful then these laws will have more meaning behind them so it can't just be a law what happens with our data it really needs to be us as individuals to demand what companies should and shouldn't be doing with it so i would say to take ownership and have a communication and have a dialogue okay Perfect. So it was great having you. Thanks for coming here. And so for everyone else, thanks for tuning in. This was Jody Daniels and I look forward to seeing you in the next episode. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you like this effort. Please do click like, comment and share. It is okay if you did not like it. Please still do make a comment and share with us what we can improve. If you have suggestions, ideas for guests or you want to have your question answered, please email me. My email is info at punitbhatia.com. You can also share this with others. And if you do so while tagging me in, I will personally thank and acknowledge your contribution in coming episodes. Thanks once more and look forward to seeing you back in two weeks. Remember, this is aired every alternate Thursday at 8 a.m. Till then, stay safe, stay blessed and stay happy.